We turn in God's Word tonight then to the Gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter, Mark chapter 4. For those of you who may be visiting with us this evening, uh, we are on a series of messages from the Gospel of Mark, and we are up to chapter 4 this evening, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 20 tonight and reflecting upon uh, the truths that are herein contained. We hear then God's breathed out word to us this evening. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him. So that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. The whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing, and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our gracious Father, we again thank you for the word that you have given us. Father, where we have the words of life before us. Father, for those whose soil has been prepared by your spirit and has accepted your word, 
may this word go forth as fertilizer tonight to increase our, our abundance. And, Father, that we would give ever more for your kingdom. And, Father, for the soil that has not been yet prepared, we pray tonight that it would be prepared. That tonight that those here that are apart from Christ would come to a saving knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for Pastor Bob as he brings your word. We pray that he would do so with great power and clearness. And Father, that it was, again, fall in fertile soil. All this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. Thank you, brother. I want to look at two things uh, from this section of God's word this evening. First of all, that it points out to us Jesus' pulpit ministry. And we'll say a few words about that, his pulpit ministry. Secondly, Jesus' parable ministry. As this parable introduces us to uh, at least kind of the beginning of a set of parables that Mark includes. But it also includes for us in this section why he is teaching in parables. So Jesus' pulpit ministry and then secondly, Jesus' parable ministry. It had indeed been a busy day. Much had transpired over the course of this particular day in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 13 verse 1, which picks up at this story, this account, this parable of Jesus, begins with the words in verse 1, that same day. In other words... It is the same day that all these other events have taken place. Where Jesus has had to deal with the various reactions and responses to the word that are found in the third chapter as we looked at last Lord's Day. So if you missed that, you might want to go back and reread and hear that message as well. Because in that message, we, we see all sorts of things happening. How, pe how are people responding to this message of Jesus? Now, that same day, Jesus brings to them a message in a parable. And I maintain it is about that day. He is teaching them at the end of the day what has transpired during the day. That's the first thing. It was a busy day. But even though it had been a busy day, as now it would appear evening has come or is shortly to be there, they are gathered again. Once again, a picture for us that we as God's people gather around God's word morning and evening. So thanks for coming back tonight. Secondly, it points out, Mark points out, that this is a large crowd. A large crowd gathered about him. And that's interesting because it would appear that the miracles have ended. This was a day that had been filled with healings. There was large crowds that came, if you remember, Last Lord's Day from chapter 3. But they're not just coming from Galilee. They're coming from all around the area. They're coming all the way from Jerusalem. They're coming from Idumea. They're coming from beyond the Jordan. 
here at the close of the day, even though there has been a pause in the miracle working, they are still there. Which would lead us to think about that perhaps the depth of these people is a little bit more than perhaps what we might normally think. Maybe they were, in the beginning, we, we often say, yeah, they just come for the miracles. Well, maybe they did. Maybe that's what drew them. Maybe that's what brought them. They heard the notoriety of Jesus and they came to him bringing their sick, their demon-possessed. And Jesus is healed. But there's been a pause, as I said. The twelve have been called. He's been confronted by religious leaders. His family has sought to intervene. And now Jesus goes out. And the large crowd is still there. He goes to kind of an unusual place, isn't it? Again, he began to teach beside the sea. That sea, which in a couple of weeks as we go through Mark's gospel, is going to become tossed with wind and waves. Disciples are going to fear for their life because of the power of that sea. It would appear here that the opposite is now true. The sea is calm, it's quiet, it's peaceful. This is the place of teaching now. The place where people don't have to watch the waves and be afraid of the wind, but they can listen carefully to that which Jesus is now going to teach. It's an unusual place because note where the pulpit actually is. It's in a boat. It's in a boat. Certainly not that which we perhaps would think would be fitting. Really, Jesus, you're, you're going to teach from a boat? Isn't that a little beneath the dignity of preaching the word? I'm reminded, though, of the fact of you hear often from missionary reports of missionaries when they gather groups on the Lord's Day to preach and to teach that uh, often it isn't from these traditional pulpits that uh, we have within our churches and for most of us have grown up with. Sometimes the gathering spot is the large tree. It's the best place they can find. And Jesus, once again, is making use of the opportunity that is before him. Perhaps a lesson that we might learn from. That it isn't always in the formalized area of worship where God's word is taught and God's word is proclaimed. Here he's in a boat. And what a vantage point this was. What, a, what an ideal situation considering the situation. We have a large crowd. Where is this large crowd? They, they've been gathered for miracles but not for teaching. They've been gathered to, to bring their sick and their lame, but not to hear Jesus speak, 
But now's the time to hear Jesus. Now is the time to listen. Now is the time for those who have ears to hear. And in order to aid them, in order to benefit them, we see this crowd sitting down beside the lake. And Jesus is out in the boat a little ways. No longer the crowd pressing in on him. No longer are those who are immediately fixated on grabbing hold of his attention. Now, as it were, there is sort of an equality. All are there to hear the word. This is Jesus' pulpit ministry. But, interesting, Mark... Mark it's kind of interesting because he doesn't leave out certain details, does he? Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him, and he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. Now, we would say, well, of course you're going to sit in the boat, because if you stand in the boat, there is a the potential of the boat turning over. But that's not why he's sitting. You see, in the Jewish synagogue, in the teaching of God's word, the one who was the teacher always sat. That was the teaching position. That's how it was done. So if you were going to say something, if you were going to address something, you sat down to make that address. Now, although you, you know I don't think much of the what it, what's going on, it is rather interesting that in the Catholic Church, right, when the Pope is going to say something important, what does he do? He sits in the big chair, right? He sits in the chair because it is from the chair that proclamations come. This is the way it was done. This is the way it happened. When the scrolls were opened, they stood. They stood for the reading of God's word. They sat for that explanation of it. It was a means of saying and of, of, of pointing out the importance of God's word. I'm certainly not advocating changes of, of what we do, but you need to understand that's why he's sitting. And they all understand this, that the crowd there gets it. They know he is sitting in that boat because he is now going to address us with words of great importance. And we need to listen. Hence, Jesus' words at the end, he who has ears, let him hear. Because this is what they're doing. They're listening. They're listening to what the teacher, they're listening to what the rabbi is now proclaiming. So being finished with those details that Mark includes for us, we now dive into verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. This is but one of that day. This isn't the only one, because the parables is plural, but the example is singular. So Mark is giving us one example of the parables that Jesus taught to them from the boat. But that 
brings about the question, even before we get to the parables, why in parables? What's the point? What's the purpose? Why, why are you teaching by means of these illustrations? Well, Jesus himself answers that for us, doesn't he? We go to verse 10 through 12, and we hear what Jesus says. Jesus, when asked about this, Jesus says to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Now, just keep your finger there, and let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I told you it was in this section that we have Matthew's account of that which happened. Matthew records Jesus' explanation as follows. Go down to Matthew 13, 10. The disciples are coming and asking, why do you speak to them in parables? He answers, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Why in parables? Jesus says, and, and let me explain it in a, in a, let me explain it this way. How many of you have ever been in the hospital for a prolonged period of time? Let's say for a week or more, you were, you were in the hospital. Week or more. Okay, quite a few of you. How many of you have known somebody who was in a hospital for a week or more? Okay. When they get out of the hospital, are they strong and vibrant and ready to run a 26K? No. Why? Because they've been laying in a bed. And even though they are strong, my wife remarks about the strength of farmers and their ability to endure pain. Okay? They, they, their pain level is always a one. It's a one. It's a one. You wonder what they're doing to themselves throughout the rest of the year. Right? That they can have surgery and oh, pain's at a one. Hardly feel that new knee at all in there. But they all experience the same thing. When you sit in a hospital bed and do not use your muscles for a week, and do not exercise for a week. You grow weak. 
What Jesus is basically saying is this. I teach them in parables because they are unwilling to work. They are unwilling to hear. They are unwilling to accept the possibility that what I am saying is true. I teach in parables because to some who are exercising, who are digging in, they hear, they know. They know the secret. The secret here, secret did, doesn't mean like some secret of society where you have some secret handshake, you know, in order to enter the tree fort type of thing to keep other people out or whatever else there is out there in the world with these various lodges that exist. Here, secret is, is mystery. To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom. You know. You know who I am. You know the truth. You know that I am the Son of God who has come in the flesh. And you might say, well, they don't know it real well yet, do they? No, they don't. But you see, Jesus is speaking from the sovereignty of God. He knows that to them has indeed been given. They have been called. They have been elect. He knows that these will be men of faith. But others, you see, others do not exercise their ears. See, they do not hear with their ears. They are unwilling to listen to that which Jesus is saying. That's why I teach in parables. I came to them directly. I told them who I was. And they turned away from me. They have plugged their ears to the truth. So I teach in parables. There's his purpose. So what is the parable that Mark records for us here? Well, it's the parable that perhaps we know well. right? It's probably one of those if you went out and asked even the, probably the, I want to say the word casual Christian, but that wouldn't probably be appropriate. Probably just the average church-going American. Can you name me one of Jesus' parables? Probably everybody would come up with the parable of the sower. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the picture that Jesus creates is indeed vivid. So it's the parable of the sown seed. The parable of the sower. There is much debate, though, when you start turning pages and reading commentaries about what should we actually call this thing? Is it really the parable of the sower? Or is it the parable of the seed? Or is it the parable of the soils? We'll just call it Jesus' teaching. The teaching about sown seed. Now, Jesus, we, you know, this one is not left for some sort of mystery for us to grasp. On the other hand, we have to be careful 
with parables of not overanalyzing them and making everything stand for something and represent something, carrying it further than what Jesus' parable teaching is meant to teach. But in this particular parable, we, 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 we don't have to suppose anything. Jesus clearly explains to the disciples what the whole thing is about. Here are the two things. One, the seed that is sown is the Word of God. That's clear. Jesus tells us that. The sower, verse 14, sows the Word. Secondly, the second thing that is clear to us is that the soil, the various soils that are represented here, are the human, is the human heart. So the soil is the human heart, human soul, perhaps might even be a better term at this point, and the seed is the Word of God. Now to picture, excuse me, <laughs> Now, to picture how this works, how does the Word of God and the human heart interrelate with one another, Jesus uses a very common illustration of the day. Something that, that they could grasp, something they could was recognizable, something they could identify with, something they probably had seen sometime in their lifetime. That's why I took the time in the children's illustration to talk about the sowing of seed. My guess is probably most of our children, maybe even some of us, have never seen seed being sown in the way that Jesus is talking about it here. Maybe the illustration helped us to grasp a little bit about what is happening. So Jesus, first of all, reminds us that there are various places where the throne, where the scattered seed falls. As we pick that up, okay, Jesus speaks about, verse 15, that which is sown along the path. Verse 16, there is that which is sown on rocky ground. Verse 18, there, there is the seed that is sown among the thorns. And then verse 20, there is seed that is sown on the good soil. So, here is the picture, and you, you know, some of, this, some of this is hard for us to, to necessarily grasp today because we, we don't understand farming in Jesus' day. We're wondering how anybody would throw it on the path. Right? How, why would you throw seed on the path? Well, he's not purposely throwing it on the path. That's where some of the seed falls. Why? Because the paths were small, narrow, that were cut through the farmland. You've got to remember, we're not dealing 
with heavy clay soil like we are here. And you can go down, you know, quite a few inches, quite a few feet, and you still got soil. Right? In, in, in Palestine, the soil is not very thick. And it's very rocky. If you've ever been up to McBain, you got an idea of what it's like, right? You know, we got stone fences up there because they just keep throwing rocks out of the field and piling it up, piling it up, piling it up. Okay? Uh, up by, by the cottage uh, near Greenville when they've planted potatoes and then harvested them. Usually in the corner of the field sits this huge mound of stones that have come up with the potatoes that the machine separated. That's not necessarily the usual thing we deal with here. In Israel, in Jesus' day, the situation is even more pronounced. It's more problematic, all these stones they have to deal with. So to have a pathway next to your field was not uncommon. And because you want to sow every square inch you possibly can of the good soil, some of that seed, as you scatter it, is going to fall into that path. There are going to be those piles of rocks that form the edges of your field because you want to get to the very last part of the good soil. Some of that seed, as you scatter it, is going to fall into those rocks. And the edge there and the rocks is going to be a weedy area. And and some of your seed is going to sow there. Some of you who have ever planted grass seed understand this, right? You're throwing out the grass seed because you got an area where you want to put in some grass, maybe the the snowplow guy during the winter dug up a whole bunch of it and so on. And, and so you put down some black dirt and now you're throwing out some grass seed. Maybe it's next to your cement patio. Okay? You know, and I know just what happens. No matter how careful we are, okay, we get a broom, there's grass seed on the cement. We didn't try to do it. We didn't purposely throw it there. It's there. If we're planting the grass seed near the edge of our lawn, some of it goes into the field beyond. We didn't, we didn't purposely put it there. That's where it fell in the process of the scattering of the seed. Here is Jesus' picture of where the seed falls. But Jesus explains to us That where this seed falls represents a response to that word. Go through it again. Verse 15, that which is along the path are those when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Okay, it's on the path. It is so hard, it cannot penetrate at all. Like the grass on the cement, it's not going to grow. Others, verse 16, that are on the rocky ground, this response are the ones who hear, and when they hear the word, 
immediately receive it with joy. Oh, this is the most wonderful thing. Oh, this good news of the gospel. Oh, I can't believe this great news. But because they have no depth, they have no root. They last for a while. But when the cancer comes back, when the loneliness sweeps over them, when they get fired from another job, when they lose their license, you know, it's, it's, it, and, and I don't mean to, to dissuade all prison conversions, but it is an amazing thing to note how many get converted before that date in which they might get their sentence reduced. Oh, I've come to know the Lord. I'm a changed person. Well, what happens when the judge says, no, I'm not letting you out? All right? See, they, they, there was a reception of it, but there's no root, and then the problems come, and they fall away. And then there's the thorns, those who hear the word, verse 19, but because of their wealth, thinking they don't really need the word, and poverty, the desires for other things, they're continually craving after the material, enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But then there is that which falls on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. But you see, this has been the day. This is what Jesus has observed over the course of the day. He has encountered in this day day that Mark is recording for us in chapters 3 and 4. Those who have such a hardness of heart, they have charged him with being Beelzebub. They've heard the word. The word has gone out to them. Jesus has told them who he is. But Satan has immediately snatched it. Their hearts have become hardened like cement or a pathway in Israel. There are those who have received the word. This is good news. Jesus is healing and they're coming and they're running and they're bringing their friends. then they went home and somebody else got sick and then there's the folks hanging around by the sea today those who are there there's a little more interest but as Jesus observes this crowd and sees this crowd he knows that many in this crowd come tomorrow, are just going to go back to work, back to their lives, and this day that they've spent with Jesus will be nothing but a fond memory with no real 
change of life. I often wonder how many times I have sat and listened to a sermon that has stirred my heart. But come Monday, it makes no difference. But we're grateful that the sower knows his business. We're grateful that the sower knows that you plant most of this seed in good soil. So let's finish by looking at this productive Seed. See, that's what it is. It's the seed that is productive. Why is the seed productive? Why does the seed produce 30, 60, and 100 fold? Answer, because it is in good soil. The seed that produces is the seed that has been scattered, sown in good soil. What makes the soil good? Well, of course we know that, right? The seed goes out and prepares the ground. You go, no, no, the seed is planted in the ground. Okay, it's the ground. The ground works itself up. Oh, sometimes we wish that happened. Sometimes that would save us a lot of work if the ground just dug itself up, got it all self all ready for planting. But you see, that doesn't happen either. Who got the ground ready? The sower. This is a picture, you see, of the Lord himself preparing, as our brother Doug prayed, the human heart to receive the word of God. And those hearts that are prepared by the Lord, those hearts that the Holy Spirit has brought to a point and a juncture where they are ready and open to receive that word, those hearts, those souls, that God has prepared take in the seed and in that good soil of the prepared heart, the seed becomes productive. See, don't lose sight of this. Don't, don't, don't start mixing things around. Don't miss what the point Jesus is saying here. And go back and ask yourself, what is the seed? The seed is the word of God. The word of God planted in a heart that is prepared by the Lord is a seed, the word that will produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. What is the production? What is the fruit that the word produces? 
And I've sat in sermons where I've heard the explanation that that which is produced are believers. But I don't produce believers. And the seed is only producing seed. That's what Jesus calls attention to. The seed produces seed. The Word produces the Word. The Word planted in the human heart, prepared by the Lord through the work of the Spirit, produces the Word of the Lord. See, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And we know them as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But you see, that, that, that's only part of the story. What the Word of God produces in the fertile heart of one who has been prepared is obedience. To the word. And a life that takes in the word of God. A prepared heart. Produces. Obedience. To the word. See we had it this morning. We were in Romans chapter 6 with our high school class. And we're in Romans chapter 6. And the question comes up. Okay, so we have all this grace stuff. We have, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, if I'm already saved, if I'm already justified, why don't I just go on sinning? And Paul's answer is, you can't. You can't. Why? Because that old man of sin that would take you down that type of logic has been crucified on the cross. To put it another way, the Word of God, having been planted in our hearts, produces what? The Word of God. It produces obedience. To what? The Word of God. And what does that obedience to the Word of God produce? More obedience to the Word of God. See, rather than shoving aside, oh, we don't need to be obedient to the word. I'm a Christian. I can do what I want. It produces exactly the opposite. The word of God planted in the fertile soil of a prepared heart produces good works. That God has prepared in advance for us to do. And don't think of good works as walking the little old lady across the street to get some sort of merit badge. I'm not saying walking little old ladies across the street is a bad thing. But, it, but it's not some meritorious thing. It is simply the desire to be obedient to God's truth. And there is a desire, a hunger, a thirst. Tell me more of God's word. Teach me more of what God tells me in his word so that I can live more and more and more obediently to him. I had great admiration for my father. I've mentioned this before. 
My father was an electrician by trade, a theologian by vocation. At any given time, at the side of his chair would be a stack of various journals that he would be reading through, various books, that theological works that he would be studying. But that which always lay open on the table next to him was this. Those books would become closed. But this would remain open. There's a truth in that, isn't there? See, there is a time for the shutting of our theological books and our magazines and our periodicals that are filled with good things. But my friends, if we are not opening up the seed, something's wrong. If we're not reading and studying, let the word of God, Paul writes in Colossians 3.17, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Let the seed of the word dwell in your soul richly. Bearing the fruit of obedience, of good works, of a desire to live by that truth. He who has an ear let him hear. So many who are listening to Jesus on this day had hearts that were closed, hearts that had no root, hearts that soon the wife's cares would sweep in and take it away. But to you, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of heaven. You are the good soil. Do we see it in those disciples that day? No. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. He knew the fruit going to come from these men. Lives of obedience and praise. May the word of God dwell richly in our hearts. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this word, this breathed out truth that we might hear, that we might understand. For Lord, this is your work. Your work of the Spirit. Lord, even as our brother prayed before the message, we pray now again, Father, plow open the soil, the heart, even tonight, that you want to plant your word in deeply, that it might grow and produce a life of fruitful obedience to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. And God's people say, amen. Six hundred.